Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua 24. We're taking just a little break from our study of 1 Thessalonians and to deal with some seasonal things. And of course, today is the last Sunday of 2018, so I thought we would take a look at Joshua 24. And uh, the, the passage before us this morning is the last words of Joshua. He's an older man. Uh, in Joshua 23, he has taken the elders of Israel aside and given them some last words to encourage them along the way, telling them that they needed to cling to God's word and to love the Lord. Of course, that uh, would be a great message for us to hear today. But we're going to move to J Joshua 24 and hear what Joshua says to all the people and the encouragement that he gives to them uh, there in the Holy Land and as they continue the conquest of the Holy Land and occupying that. Of course, Joshua took over for Moses, uh, leading the people of Israel, and uh, now he has been doing that, and, and the scriptures tell us that the people stayed close to the Lord during Joshua's tenure for the most part, and now Joshua knows that his days are numbered. And so this is a good time to listen to the last words of Joshua and find encouragement uh, for ourselves as we... Uh, Look forward to 2019. How can this encourage us in the, in the coming year? Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan. And came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. 
Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites, that lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word this morning to us. Well, in Italy they have a custom, so I'm told, that at midnight on New Year's, as midnight on New Year's Eve approaches, everything is quiet and the streets are clear. There's no traffic, no pedestrians. There's not even policemen who are, who are roaming the streets. And then at the stroke of 12, the windows of houses fly open and, and people begin to throw out all the things that they hate. There are the old crockery, detested ornaments, uh, hated furniture, personal possessions which reminded them of something in the past year that was not good. It's a fresh start they wanted. And uh, that's what they were going for. And it's a great celebration, apparently. Well, we are at that time in our lives where we often consider, as we come into a new year, the changes that we'd like to make. And of course, many people make New Year's resolutions uh, at this time of, of year. And uh, I would say that usually, and I think you would agree with me, that we fail to keep those resolutions within the first month uh, of, of the year. And uh, you know, usually by the end of January, we're not doing those things that we promised to do. I was reading an article, even this morning, they talked about uh, people going to the gym in January. Gyms are full in January. And then in February, not so much. And I'm guilty of that myself. So this morning, uh, I didn't want us to just make New Year's resolutions, but 
But uh, as we look at the words of Joshua here, what we have here is a covenant renewal. And I think that's a good way to think about the new year, to renew our covenant with the Lord. And I want to walk us through this passage, this covenant renewal ceremony that, that Joshua has with the people there. And, uh, and kind of think about our own times and our own relationship with the Lord and the renewal that needs to take place within us. And there's three things here that I want us to, to uh, think about as we come into the new year. What do we need to do to properly prepare for 2019? Three things. We need to review God's grace to us. Secondly, we need to respond to God's grace appropriately. And then thirdly, we need to be reminded of the amazing nature of God's grace. And we have that all here before us in this passage that Joshua says to the people of God. Well, there are several things that are noted here as in the first few verses, the uh, first half of, the, of those verses that we read, where Joshua reviews God's grace to these people. And he begins at the very beginning uh, when, when uh, Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldees. And it tells us there that, that Abraham's father, Terah, and uh, their relatives, they served other gods. They weren't God followers. They weren't the followers of, of Yahweh, as we, we find out his name later uh, in the Bible. But uh, they served idols of the day. In fact, I think we learned from Sunday school a few months ago that uh, that area where uh, Terah and Abraham were from was a center for moon worship. So perhaps they uh, were engaging in moon worship. And, and he begins there and he walks them through how the Lord called Abraham out, brought them into the promised land, and he continues to rehearse for them all the ways that God has has created them as his people. And I think that's important for us, first of all, to think about God's sovereign salvation. He looked down upon Abraham and called him out, out of idol worship, uh, out of the, the way that the people around him were carrying on their lives. God took Abraham, it says here. Have you ever stopped and thought about where you were spiritually before the Lord called you and where you might be if the Lord hadn't called you? How'd you get where you are today? If we look over it and really think about it, we see that it's all God's sovereign plan. I think about my own conversion. Of course, I was a young person. And uh, I remember being at a church service, uh, an evening, a special uh, series of services. And I was uh, a junior hire at the time, and, and I, I responded to an altar call. And the Lord did something there, uh, changed my heart. But as I have grown older and thought more about it, I realized that even before that time, you could see the ways that God was working to bring me to that point of conversion, of change. He was working in me before I was even aware of it. And the same is true for all of us. God works his will in our lives and salvation. He works it out in many ways. And if we stop and really think about it, we can see how God has brought us. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Well, that's, the God, that's God's provision for you. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home and, and through associations and through friendships 
uh, or maybe through some seemingly random encounter with someone, you came to know the Lord. Well, God is in control of all that. God is the one that made it happen. God is the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We also see here uh, uh, Joshua highlighting his, God's providential rule in their lives. He talks about uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau and how he particularly blessed Jacob and his children. And, and, and later on, as they matured, they went into Egypt and God rescued them through providential circumstances, through his working, through the weather, through splitting a Red Sea and miraculous deliverance. What were the circumstances of your conversion? How did God intervene in your life? It's important for us as we think about 2019 to remember that. How did did I come to this place where I am today? And then thirdly, powerful redemption. Of course, the great rescue, the great work of redemption that God worked at the Red Sea. They had their backs literally against the wall or at least against a sea on one side and an army on the other. And God saved them powerfully. They walked through that Red Sea. And then, of course, when the Egyptians followed in, the walls of the water caved in on them. God's redemption, God's salvation is powerful. And it changes lives, changed those people's lives. How did it change your life? And then faithful deliverance. He talks about Balak, king of Moab, and and who had hired Balaam, the son of Beor, to put a curse on on the people of Israel. He wanted to wipe the Israelites out and he was calling on Balaam, this prophet, to put a curse on him and Balaam couldn't do it because God would not allow him. In fact, he did quite the opposite. He blessed, he blessed the people of God and Balak was not a happy camper after Balaam did that. So it says, verse 10, I delivered you out of his hand. God faithfully has delivered his people. And if you're one of his people, he's faithfully delivered you. And think about the things from which you have been delivered by God. You know, there's a saying that is used quite often, there but for the grace of God go I. How would you answer that question? Where would you be except for the grace of God? And then there's this unanticipated provision that he highlights in verse 13. They they received a land, land that they didn't, they didn't uh, harvest, uh, or they didn't plant on, but they're receiving the harvest. Cities that they live in, that they didn't build. All these provisions. How has the Lord provided for you and your family? How has the Lord met all your needs over your lifetime and brought you to this place? Joshua is reminding them of God's grace to the, in their lives. God's provision, deliverance, his redemption, his, his providence, his salvation, all of these things are not only true of those people, but they're true of us as well. And it's important for us to continue to remember that. Week to week, or month to month, we come to the Lord's table. We, we come and we remember Christ. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus told us. And we're to remember his grace. We're remember to, to remember all that Jesus did for us. It's important to remember, and it's important for us as we enter 2019 to remember God's grace. And then secondly, 
to respond appropriately to God's grace? How should we respond? Well, Joshua poses a challenge to the people of God after he rehearses God's grace to them in verses 14 through 24. He tells them several things that they need to do. First of all, all they need to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Don't take the Lord for granted. That's what, what it means to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord means to have an awe, a respect. If you don't have respect for someone, you don't regard them. You don't pay any attention to them. You don't care what they say. And a lot of people live their lives in that manner when it comes to, to God in their lives, when it comes to the Lord. They don't regard the Lord. They don't think about the Lord. The Lord never enters their consciousness. They live completely devoid of any contact with the Lord. Even people who come to church on a weekly basis can live as if the Lord doesn't exist. They can be apathetic to the Lord or take the Lord for granted. Well, if we want to renew our lives and respond appropriately to God's grace, first of all, we've got to pay attention to the Lord. We've got to think that His opinion matters. We've got to, to stop and say, hey, wait, that's the, that's the one who has done all this for me. How can I live my life as if He doesn't exist? How can I take for granted all these things that He's done for me? So first of all, Joshua challenges the people and challenges us, us as well to fear the Lord, to regard the Lord, to have a respect for Him, to remember who He is and what He's done and respond with that regard for Him. And then Joshua says, serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Now the word sincerity there means blameless, uh, without blemish, perfect, or entire, to have a, a sincere service to the Lord means a, a completely, a complete service to give our entire effort to serve the Lord, to give our all to serve the Lord, without holding anything back. That's what Joshua is challenging the people with there. Serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness, to be true to Him. And then he says to put away the gods, put away our idols. Now we think about uh, the gods of those days. They carved them out of wood or, or fashioned them uh, out of metal. Uh, literal gods, little idols that they bowed down to. People in the 21st century in America don't necessarily bow down to idols unless you consider the box in our living room an idol, which certainly can be. Uh, we have idols of the heart more often, things that we pursue, things that we cherish above God, things like money, things like power or popularity. Uh, it might be our family. It could be good things that we uh, cherish more than God. Anything that we look to to give us the peace, the comfort, the security, the, the meaning in life that we should get from God, anything that we look to outside of God for that, that's an idol. Anything that we would put before God in priority in our lives, that's an idol. So Joshua challenges the people to put away their gods. Anything that they were putting before God, anything that they were saying is more important than God, put it away. Put it away. 
And then he says this interesting statement. If you're not going to serve the Lord, then choose another God. Why would he say that? You know, choose one of these other gods if you're not going to serve the Lord. Well, he's, uh, he's making an argument from the absurd. These aren't really gods at all. Uh, they're, they're not going to give you security. They're not going to give you peace. They're not going to save you. None of these things are, are going to be a true God to you like the true God. So he's encouraging them to, to choose the Lord, to serve the Lord, to give, their, give themselves their service to the Lord, to regard the Lord. And then the people respond appropriately. Hey, Verse 16, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt. See, they, have, they, they are like, yes, we remember what Joshua is telling us about the great salvation that he's provided. We remember those things, and, and we should serve the Lord, and we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And then Joshua makes this interesting re- reply in verse 19. You're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. You know, this is one of those sermons, it seems like, that Joshua was preaching along, and he's, he's uh, calling for a response, and the people are responding. And he says, sorry, no, you're not able to do what you're say, saying you're going to do. And, uh, you know, as a preacher, you think, well, hey, they've said the right words. They're, they're responding appropriately. But Joshua is saying, really, do you really mean it? Are you sure? Are you sure that's what you really want to do? And again, the people respond, verse 21, No, but we will serve the Lord. And verse 23 is interesting. Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. It's interesting if you look back at verse 16. They say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And then Joshua asked, do you really mean that? And they say, yes. And he says, if so, then really put them away. Oh, we're not serving other gods. God is our God. Well, then why do you have those gods in your houses? So he's not just saying, not only is he saying, put away the other gods, he's saying, kill them. Put them away. Don't just tuck them in the back of the closet. Uh, Don't just hide them away for a time, but throw them out. Put them in the garbage and let them be hauled away. The New Testament uses even more poignant language than that. The New Testament says, put them to death. Kill them. Mortify is the theological term for it. Kill it and incline your heart to the Lord. That word incline means to spread out, to stretch out, or extend. And what he's saying there is take your heart and give it to the Lord. Give your heart to the Lord. Don't give it to these idols. Wipe those idols out. Get rid of those idols. Get rid of that sin that so easily besets you. Get rid of those pet sins that you love. Put them to death. Resolve to put them to death if you really mean it. Don't just say you will. Christians talk about giving their heart to the Lord. We use that kind of language all the time. But it's, but it's not just words. We can say that, 
I, I, I want to give my heart to you, Lord, but do we, we really mean it? It's not just making promises. If you think about a, a marriage ceremony, which is the kind of relationship, you know, it's a picture of the relationship we have with the Lord, uh, a covenant relationship. We make promises to one another, to our spouse, when we get married. We make vows before the Lord to one another. And, and we can live our lives as if those were just words. You can say, I will you know, love and honor and cherish you, uh, you know, in sickness and in health and joy and sorrow, but how easily it is to say those words, but it's a much different thing to live those words out. What he's saying here is for us to give our hearts to the Lord, not just in word, but to truly give our heart to the Lord, for it to be extended to him. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you myself, I give you everything that I am. So see, he's warning the Israelites, don't just say you're going to put away the gods, because you've said that and you still have them, but really put them away, get rid of them completely, resolve to, to have nothing to do with them anymore and give yourself completely to the Lord. Not just some of yourself to the Lord and some to idols, which is what we tend to do. So get rid of the idols, get rid of the sin, resolve to kill it and give your heart to the Lord. And the Israelites said, we will do that. And as we enter 2019, will we commit ourselves to the Lord in that way? Will we say, Lord, you know, I want to change. And, and we do, we think about those things as we get to this time of year and we look forward to the new year. Things that we would like to change. Well, what's coming between you and the Lord? What's coming between you and giving your soul, whole self to the Lord? Well, thirdly then, let's remember the amazing nature of God's great grace. As I said before, resolution is not great. I mean, we can resolve to do these things, we can say these words, and we can mean those words, but we often fall short. C.S. Lewis said, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. That's so true. Joshua makes a covenant with the people that day. Actually, he's renewing the covenant with the people. And, and he creates a monument so that they can remember those things. And that's a good idea as well. Put a note on your bathroom mirror uh, for the things that you've promised to do. But I want to stress here that this is a covenant relationship. God's grace to us is, is not just saving us from, from hell. Uh, it's not just forgiving our sins. Those, those certainly are true. But God is calling us into a relationship with himself, a covenant relationship. Because when we look at the history of Israel from this point forward, they said all the right words, and maybe they meant the words, but they didn't keep the word. They, they continued to worship other idols. They continued to be unfaithful to their God, and they were eventually ejected from, the, from their promised land. They were sent into exile. Yes, God preserved a remnant because he's faithful. And that's something that we need to remember, as we may make resolve to do things differently, to change, to give ourselves to the Lord. Yes, that's all good, but I promise you that you're going to fall short. You're not going to be able to do it faithfully and consistently. But I would remind you of what 2 Timothy 2 says. 
where Paul says to Timothy, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, what you would expect to come there would be that then he would be faithful, faithless to us. No, that's not what it says. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He's made promises to his people. He is, he is renewing this covenant with the Israelites here under Joshua because he's continuing to pursue these people who are faithless to him. He continually, continually renews that relationship. He's pursuing that relationship, and he will continue to do that. He will go to the great length of sending his only son to die for his people so that he can have a relationship with them. And I want you to remember that. This idea of a covenant between a deity and people is unknown in the world, except in Christianity. If you look at any other gods, so-called gods out there, none of those other religions have a covenant keeping and making and keeping God. Buddha didn't make a covenant with people. He's given you a list of rules to follow. You serve his rules and maybe you'll get to the next level. Muhammad didn't make a covenant with anyone. He set out a bunch of rules and laws to follow. And if you follow those rules, you will gain uh, paradise. God says, I'm going to make a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to I want to have you as my child. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. And I am binding myself to you. And that's why we read 2 Chronicles 6.14 to come to begin. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or above, on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Or Micah 7 our assurance of pardon. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. If God is your God, you are in that covenant relationship with him and he does not break his vows to you. So even when you fall short in your resolve to give your heart to him, to turn away from the idols of your heart, even when you fall short, remember that you're in a relationship with the Lord. And just because someone maybe breaks their vows maybe doesn't keep their promises to you, it doesn't mean that that relationship is completely over. No, it can be renewed, it can be restored. And that's what Christ came to do for us. So as we enter 2019, I would encourage you, I would encourage you to fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness and to put away the gods and really put to death the sin in your life and seek to do seek to do the seek to have the Lord help you in that and and to incline your heart to the Lord to reach out to him continuously and when you fall and fail do it some more 
keep returning to the Lord because you are in a relationship with Him and He will not be unfaithful to you. That's God's amazing grace to us. And I hope that propels you into 2019 with a new resolve to serve and love the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do want to renew our covenant with you. Lord, we, we have been faithless. We have fallen short in so many areas, and we think, especially this time of year, as we see changes we want to make, we, 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 we want to be different people. Lord, many times our resolve, our resolutions are geared toward the physical. We want to look better, be healthier. But Lord, we pray that you would make us mindful of, of our souls and that we would be mindful of our hearts and, and that we would understand what's really important. And Lord, I pray that everyone here would would know and experience and remember your wonderful grace, and we give you all the thanks and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.